On that theme of um, children neglected worldwide and also uh, a matter of prayer, uh, one of our local ministry partners is Raleigh's Place, uh, and they do a summer camp. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that ministry, Raleigh's Place is a foster care ministry, uh, that, and they do a summer camp here locally that is free of charge to kids in the foster care system. Uh, and so that camp, the counselors have been training this past week. Camp begins this week. Campers arrive this afternoon. And so uh, be in prayer. Uh, be in prayer for those counselors. These would, are college-age uh, men and women who are in the are in the position of having uh, of getting to of having to um, getting to minister to these children in pretty uh, pretty difficult circumstances. Uh, and if you would be interested, uh, again, camp camp is free to the campers, but obviously it is not free. And so, if you would be interested in making a, a special gift to Raleigh's Place to support a camper. Um, we would, you could put that in the offering plate this morning, and uh, we would get that direct those gifts to them. So, um, keep Camp One Twenty Seven in mind this week and in the weeks to come. And if you would actually like to go out, I'm I'm speaking at chapel there this week every uh, every night. Uh, and so if you would like to just go out and see what this ministry is like, I invite you to, to come with me. Uh, we won't be out there very, very long, and we're going at the coolest part of the evening. So it's a win-win. Um, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be starting in verse 31. It's on page 860 if you're using the Bible there in the chair. Uh, last week we heard Jesus preach. Uh, we heard Jesus preach that rescue is coming. This week we're going to see Jesus demonstrating that very rescue. Uh, Jesus connects word and deed. We see him now demonstrating what we heard him preach last week. So read along with me, Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 4 verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee... And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. 
But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us understand it. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you are not silent, that you are a God who reveals himself to us. And we thank you for these miracles. Now, Lord, as we, uh, as we seek to understand your word, we ask for your help. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that understand? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of my favorite verses of any hymn uh, goes like this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Now, it's got a little spoiler earlier, but you might tell me what hymn that comes from. Joy to the world, right? There's a reason we sang what is traditionally a Christmas song, which, by the way, is not a Christmas song. Ruin your Christmas. But it wasn't written to be sung at Christmas. It was simply written to celebrate uh, Jesus coming as King. And that verse is one of my favorites because it captures so well, uh, I think, what many of us recognize and feel so acutely. Um, and even as Zach mentioned in his prayers that... Um, Everywhere we look, around us, and when we look within us, we, we see it, don't we? We see sin and sorrow. Uh, we see it growing. We see in our own lives, we feel, uh, we feel the thorns, right? Um, any of these thoughts sound familiar to you? The more I change, the more I stay the same. I really thought I was better than that. I can't believe he did that again. Will she ever learn? What do you, what do you hear in those statements, right? A sense of, of frustration, of futility, that for all the, all the work we do, all, even all, even all the internal heart work we do, we feel like we're making great strides personally and then we're still the same person. We still, we still have the thorns. Uh, I have these, these weeds that grow in my yard. Actually, I have several different kinds of weeds that grow in my yard. My lawn is basically just a patchwork of weeds uh, supplied here and there with some grass. Um, right, but uh, so a couple different kinds of weeds. They're, they're the ones that kind of permeate the whole lawn and they're these little stickers, right? They're not, they're not full-on thorns, but... Man, when it gets dry like this and you walk barefooted in my lawn, you can, you, you find them pretty quickly, right? 
Uh, and then there are these, there are these other weeds, and I don't, I, there's, I should know what they're called by now. They don't, they don't run through the whole lawn. They're not all connected to each other. They're individual plants, but as they grow, they kind of push the grass out of the way. Um, and they just like polka dot all across my lawn. And what's really frustrating is that no matter how much work we put in, no matter how much Roundup we spray, they always come back, right? They always come back. Um, and that's, you know, thorns in my grass is one thing. Thorns in my soul is another. Uh, sense of frustration, defeat, enslavement. Uh, and then some of us all together have just kind of given up, right? We just, we've just kind of gotten accustomed to our own sin patterns, and so we just say, well, that's just the way that I am. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change. And that's why I love that verse from Joy to the World. It's why I love passages like this, because it reminds me that the King is coming. The King has come. And He has come to deal with the curse. He has come to deal with the thorns. In fact, He's the only one who can deal with the curse. You see, what Jesus is doing in this passage, when we see Him healing uh, sickness, when we see Him casting out Demons, what he's doing is he is restoring God's kingdom reign. He, he says as much at the very end of the passage, right? When the, when the people of Capernaum come out, uh, they come out to meet him and they say, please, please stay. And he says, I can't. I gotta keep going. I have to keep proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, right? That God's rule is going to be restored over God's people in God's place. The kingdom is coming. And the signs that the kingdom is coming are these miracles that Jesus is doing. This healing of sickness, the the exorcism of demons. These are signs that God is restoring what was lost in the garden. Uh, And so... I kind of toyed with several different ways to look uh, at this passage. Uh, and actually, what, what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm going to fly blind for a second. I want you to kind of ignore that outline behind me, okay? Uh, instead, I want you, we're going to look at three different things. First, I want us to look at Jesus' power. Second, I want us to look at the response. What happens as, well, excuse me, let's look at a result. What happens as a result of Jesus' power? So Jesus' power, the result of that power, and then finally we're going to close with how people respond. So I'm going off script. This could get messy, but here... Power, result, response. Power, result, response. All right, let's set the scene. Jesus uh, has left his hometown of Nazareth where they almost killed him. Uh, and he is moving, uh, he is moving now to Capernaum, a city in the same region close to the water. And he's doing the same thing. He is preaching in the synagogue. And this was the gathering place of, of Jewish believers. Uh, and what they would do is they would gather there on Saturday, on the Sabbath day. They would sing songs. They would listen to the scriptures read. And then someone would get up and teach from the scriptures. Does that sound familiar? I wonder where we got it from. Um, so they did much like what we do now. Uh, and, and 
Zach pointed this out last week. This was Jesus' regular habit. Uh, Jesus was in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Uh, And as Zach pointed out last week, if anybody had a reason to get an excuse from not being in the synagogue, it would be Jesus. Can you imagine the, the, uh, the, the number of lame sermons that Jesus had to sit under? Like how many times he went, I don't know about that. Probably not how that was supposed to go, right? Um, but yet, Jesus was there every Sabbath day uh, and taught often. And so he was teaching in the synagogue and he is uh, confronted by an evil spirit. And so this is, this is, uh, this is Luke's first miracle. This is the first miracle of Jesus that Luke records for us. Uh, and that's, this is a little strange to us. Demon possession is not something that we give a whole lot of credit to, right? In our modern Western world, we've, we've kind of left things like demon possession and evil spirits. We've kind of left those behind. Right? Uh, we're, we're sophisticated, scientific people, and we know better than to believe that there are evil spirits roaming around and can take, that can take control of a person. At least we think we know better, but our stories kind of tell on us a little bit, don't they? Alright, just, uh, just peruse the red box or the box office, um, especially around Halloween time, uh, and you will see plenty of movies, uh, TV shows um, full of evil, a fascination with darkness, right? Um, our stories, the, the stories we tell, tell reveal that actually we do believe in evil. Uh, we've just confined it to the realm of science fiction and fantasy, which is kind of dangerous if you think about it, because now you know it's something that we can just kind of play with or joke about, rather than an actual malevolent force that can take control of people and do great harm to real people. But in Jesus's day, uh, this was uh, this was a major form of of slavery, right? People who were possessed by demons were in a rough spot. Um, and so, here they are in the synagogue, and here you have a man come into the midst of the synagogue. So this isn't a gathering, a religious gathering, uh, that this man comes, uh, and he cries out, right? He says, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Right? Uh, and I want you to notice uh, what Jesus does. It's evidence of Jesus' power. He rebukes and silences the spirit. He doesn't require incantations or fancy words or magic spells or a magic wand. He simply just says, shut up and get out. And it happens. It's remarkable. Um, demon exorcism, not uncommon in, uh, in the ancient world, not even uncommon necessarily in Judaism. But it always required a, a process, right? A, a series of steps you had to go through. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus just says, be silent, be gone. And it happens. Now, it does raise an interesting question. We see this happen later, too, that uh, as more people come and they bring, uh, as demon-possessed people come to Jesus, each time when a demon seeks to speak about Jesus' identity, what does Jesus do? He tells them to be silent. Why? Why, why would Jesus 
uh, why would Jesus not want? So, so this first demon says, you are the Holy One of God. Uh, later on, they say that you are the Son of God. Why would Jesus not want that word to get out? Uh, in fact, it's kind of a, a strange theme we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus, well, in John too, that Jesus is kind of mysterious about his identity. Right? He never just full sail. Very, very rarely does he actually just come out and say, yep, you got it. Right? Why is that? A couple different reasons that, uh, that we can come up with. One, and I'll use this by way of illustration. If you're looking for a job reference, right? If you want somebody to testify to your character, are you going to go with the fine upstanding citizen or the rough guy who seldom tells the truth? You want the fine upstanding citizen, right? So Jesus is probably not too keen on demons being the one to kind of bear witness to him, right? Those are not the kind of job references you want. Uh, and so that's one potential reason why Jesus tells them to be silent. But another potential reason uh, is that there was a lot of popular misunderstanding about what the Messiah was coming to do. In fact, there were a number of people before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus who kind of claimed to be Messiahs, right? They were, they were coming to liberate Israel from the Romans. That was the kind of savior that people were looking for. And so Jesus is not interested. That's not the kind of savior that Jesus has come to be. And so uh, when people would try to identify him as the Christ or say that he was that kind of savior, he would avoid that. He, he wanted to avoid misunderstanding. And so he, he wanted to avoid that misunderstanding until after the resurrection when he could make it very clear, this is what I've come to do. So that's why Jesus is somewhat secret about his identity. So Jesus rebukes the spirit. The spirit leaves immediately, right? Uh, another display of Jesus' power. He le- they leave the synagogue. Uh, they head over to uh, Simon's in-law's house. Uh, and so here you go. Now we're having a meal after church. See? This is not new to us. All right? Uh, and they go to Simon's in-law's house, home, and uh, Simon's mother-in-law is afflicted with a high fever. Uh, and remember, now this is before modern medicine. Okay, uh, and so to be sick in the ancient world is a distress. I mean, if you think it's, it's a distressing thing to be sick now uh, in the ancient world before x-rays and thermometers and antibiotics. Right. This is this is a distressing thing. And and so they ask Jesus, it says they they appeal to Jesus for her. And how does Jesus demonstrate his power? He stands over her. And what does it say he does? He rebukes the fever. The same thing that he did with the demon. He rebuked the demon. And so he rebukes the fever. And what does it say happens? The fever leaves. The fever leaves, right? This, this outright demonstration of power. All right? Um, and then later on, as the sun sets, as the Sabbath comes to a close... Now people from all over are bringing uh, their sick family members, the demon-possessed, uh, and Jesus is healing them all. Uh, Je- this long line of people, Jesus is healing them all. So we see Jesus' power. Now let's, let's talk about the results of his power. The results of his power. 
Go back up to the uh, the man uh, who had the, the was demon possessed. Jesus speaks a word, right? Or so, a few words. Uh, be quiet. Get out. Uh, and after the demon throws the man down, he comes out of him. And Luke mentions this: he has done him no harm. So, not only has Jesus spoken with power and rebuked the demon. But the man that he had possessed is left intact and has, and has suffered no harm. The result of Jesus' use of power is that this man has suffered no harm. And then, even more telling is when he heals Simon's mother-in-law. He rebukes the fever. The fever leaves. And what does she do? She gets up immediately and starts serving. Now, one of the things I've noticed uh, as I've gotten older, and I'm still a young man, I'm not very old, I recognize that, but one of the things I've noticed as I've gotten older is that my recovery time after illness is a lot longer than it used to be, right? Uh, I'm in relatively, I'd say I'm in pretty good health, so I don't get sick often, I don't go down often, but when I do, it takes me a lot longer to get back up than it did when I was 20, right? What's remarkable is that uh, Jesus heals this woman with a word, right? Again, no magic words, no magic wands, no antibiotics, right? He doesn't invent penicillin on the spot and, and a syringe and give it to her. He just speaks and she's on her feet immediately. No recovery time whatsoever, right? She's, she's on her feet and serving her guests. Remarkable result of Jesus's Power, remarkable result of Jesus's power. Now, what about the response? Power, result, respond. How are people uh, responding to Jesus? Mm. Before I do that, one more thing I want to mention. Did you notice as the crowds come to Jesus, what it says he does? He lays his hands. This is in verse forty. He lays his hands on every one of them as he heals them. Now, does Jesus have to touch these people in order to heal them? No, in fact, we've seen him do two miracles just by speaking. I mean, if he wanted to, Jesus could have just stepped out the front door as the throngs were coming and said, You're all good. Go home. Be blessed. But what does he do? He receives each one puts his hands on them, and i got to imagine he looks them right in the eye, and he listens to their stories. Now, that's speculation, but I imagine, can you, Jesus, this man full of power is also full of compassion, that he puts his hand on each person that he heals. Why would Luke tell us that unless to reinforce the idea that Jesus is full of compassion even as he heals? This is no this is no mere motivational speaker. This is no simple great teacher. This is someone else. This is someone else altogether different than any other category of person you could possibly imagine, which takes us to the response. How do we respond to someone with that kind of power who can do that kind of miracle? People are amazed. 
people are amazed at Jesus' word. They say He speaks as one with authority. Now in, in Jesus' day, the scribes who taught in the synagogues, they were all the time citing other, they, they were all the time citing other sources, right? We do this still. Uh, they didn't, they didn't want to claim any original thought, right? They were just teaching the word, but they were citing their teachers. But then Jesus shows up. And He doesn't cite any sources. Because He is the source. The people hear Jesus and they go, Whoa! Now that man has authority. And then when he heals, uh, when he exercises the demon, do you notice, look at their response. Verse 36, they were all amazed. Different word for amazement, but the response is amazement. And look, they said to one another, what is this word? Jesus' action is paralleled with his word. What is this word for with Authority. Word with authority, he commands the unclean spirits. So people are amazed at Jesus' authority. Again, this is no, uh, this is no sideshow ma- magician. This is not some motivational speaker who can draw crowds, though he does initially. No, here is somebody altogether different. Here is somebody altogether Altogether unique and special. When he heals Simon's mother-in-law, her response is to get up and serve. What an interesting thing that the person who has been healed by Jesus turns around and serves Jesus. But then I want us to look at the very end, at the response to Jesus' ministry here. When it's day, early in the morning, he heads out. Again, a regular rhythm in Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus Jesus would often go into desolate places where people were not so that he could pray and commune with his Father. Uh, And the crowds hear about it, they seek him out, they find him, and they say, please, please stay. And Jesus says, I can't. I have to keep going. Because there are other places that have to hear the good news of God's kingdom. That is why I was sent. Jesus, Jesus speaks with necessity. I must go. I was sent for this purpose. Jesus has a mission beyond simply healing diseases in a small town in Judea. And what is that? What exactly is Jesus doing? Jesus is actually reversing the effects of the fall. Why do we not see... I mean, you see it some in Acts, but not on this scale. We don't see ministry like this much after the life of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a unique moment in history where the Son of God actually steps into history and begins reversing the effects of sin. Reversing the effects of the fall. Pushing back the curse as far as it is found. Making His blessings flow. That's what Jesus is doing. I'm convinced that one of the greatest inventions uh, that Microsoft ever came up with, I'm pretty sure they invented it, is the undo button. Right? If you ever typed a document, you'll know just how necessary the undo button is. Uh, 
And then a few years later after that, they added the redo button, because sometimes you didn't mean to undo all that you undid, and you need a little bit of redo, right? Have you ever wanted an undo button for life? Have you ever wanted to undo something that you said? Undo something that you did? Jesus is coming in and He is undoing the effects of the fall. He's setting people free from demonic oppression. He's setting people free from illness. Why? To show that a new day has come. That Jesus comes as King... And when He comes, His rule is the only one that gives life. Now see, you and me, we like to serve. I know you don't think you like to serve, but uh, as Bob Dylan says, um, you're going to serve somebody. Right? We were made to serve. We were made to worship. We were made to throw our allegiance behind a king. And the problem is, unless that king is Jesus... We will continue to see sin and sorrow and thorns grow in our lives. Right? In fact, the reason that we see so much uh, within our own hearts and so much in the lives of other people is because we continually reject Jesus as King. We reject His rule and we think, well, I mean, I can do better. But when Jesus comes along as King, He shows that Not only is he in charge, because he speaks and it happens. He doesn't have to do any fancy gymnastics. He just speaks. Not only is Jesus in charge, but his rule is the only one that can give life. His is the only rule that restores freedom. So the question is, what's your response to Jesus? Are you amazed by Jesus? Or are you bored with Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? See, a, a great man, a subject to be studied. God, but only on Sundays or when the kids don't have something more pressing to do. What is your response to Jesus? Have you Are you weary of sins and sorrows growing? Are you tired of seeing thorns infest the ground of your heart? Then I would ask, have you come to the only King, the only Savior, who can set you free? That's an invitation. Let's pray.